It is nearly Christmas, 1976, in the Detroit area, and people, families, they're gearing up for hopefully a very restful, very fun, and very awesome Christmas time. I'm sure we all have those memories of when we were kids, maybe we were piling into the car, maybe we're listening to some classic Christmas music. Of course, at that time, I guess it wasn't quite so classic, uh, but... People are just gearing up for hopefully a good Christmas time, you know, build those memories in these communities of Metro Detroit. Uh, and, you know, the, the Oakland County child murders, is, it's not really on people's mind. The last time that this was really something very concerning was back in February with the murder of Mark Stebbins. So it's been quite a while since February. Jane Allen, she went missing uh, and was ultimately found murdered in August, but most of that news coverage, from what I found, happened in Ohio, where her body was found, and it just wasn't really that well reported in the Detroit area. So people are gearing up for, again, just great times with the family. But it's time, also, for Oakland County to finally face a reckoning as to the monster in their midst. I'm Eddie White. This is the Forever Children of Oakland County, and let's get into it. It's December 22nd, 1976, and Jill Robinson and her mom are having a little bit of a fight in their Royal Oak home. Now, it's nothing too serious, but I'm sure, you know, we were all 12 before, and when your mom wants help doing some chores and prepping for dinner and doing things around the house, sometimes you really just don't want to do that. I know that I can relate. So Jill's mom wants her to make some biscuits for dinner. Jill, uh, not really about that. So Jill's mom ultimately is kind of essentially like, hey, get out and, uh, you know, just go on the porch, you know, go outside, cool off for a minute, come back in. You know, this isn't like you, Jill, sort of thing, right? I mean, we've all had that, Mom, I'm not uh, mad, I'm just disappointed. That's that's a talk that we've all had before. So, you know, best I can put together, that's kind of what happens here. So Jill uh, goes out the front door. Her mom's assuming that she's just cooling off for a minute, and, you know, she'll be back inside in just a minute. So uh, Mrs. Robinson, she's trying to make dinner, trying to get things ready for the family. She is divorced from uh, Jill's father, so... She's just trying to make it work for the kids. I'm sure that there's plenty of people out there that can relate. So Jill's mom continues to make dinner and just get it all done, kind of grab it, get it together for, to the family. And she kind of calls for Jill out there. We'll get sends one of the other kids, hey, go get Jill. She's outside on the porch. Uh, bring her in. So I do remember this being quoted you know, that one of her kids says, hey, Jill's not on the porch. And, you know, just a sort of moment of exasperation. She just wanted her help for dinner. You know, obviously didn't go as, as she planned. And she just goes, of course, Jill's outside sort of thing. Like, of course, she, you know, just kind of mad at the situation. I mean, look, we've all been there. You know, this is just the thing about this is it's just so normal. You know, this is just such a normal occurrence uh, raising kids. I mean, I don't have kids of my own, but Look, I mean, that happened in my house from time to time. I mean, that's just how it goes. This is just such a normal situation in, a, in just a normal family in Royal Oak. Quick geographical primer on Royal Oak here. So if you were stacking building blocks, if you were looking at a map on that Woodward Corridor, uh, Royal Oak's right on top of Ferndale. So Royal Oak has Ferndale to its south, and so it's just a little bit deeper inside Oakland County, but it's right there, uh, you know, southern Oakland County community. So in any case, Jill's not on the porch, 
And that's a little, uh, you know, that's definitely concerning. And Jill's mom, uh, they go to the police. So Jill is missing on December 22nd, and they don't really waste a lot of time getting word out to the police. They think that maybe Jill would have gone out to her dad's house. Her bike is missing. So they're thinking that Jill ran away, and she's on her way to her dad's house. That's where she went, you know, just kind of mad at her mom. Ugh, I'm going to ride ride to dad's house. It's up Woodward a little bit there, up further into Oakland County. So they ultimately don't find Jill. Jill's not at her dad's house. Jill is obviously not uh, back at home. So the police are called, and uh, things don't proceed that well from there. Jill's not found. However, her bike is found the next day uh, behind like a, like a shopping center-type building. So her bike is found the next day on December 23rd, but Jill is nowhere to be seen, and it's quite clear at this point that something nefarious is going on. Now, I don't think I can put them in here for rights reasons, but I mean, I've watched documentaries, I've seen news specials and all sorts of things on Jill Robinson and the rest of the Oakland County child killer cases, and I gotta tell you, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. There's no way for me to adequately portray this uh, or really just convey it. It's one of, I mean, it's something I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy because Jill is not found on Christmas Eve and Jill is not, no one knows where she is on Christmas Day. And one of her siblings, she remarks that, you know, what did I even get for Christmas that year? It, 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 it didn't matter. You know, Jill's presents were left unopened under the Christmas tree, waiting for her to come back. And they're just really, there was not a normal Christmas Day. And you know, just for that family. You just have to feel so much for that family because their their daughter was missing, their sister was missing, and she was nowhere to be found. I just, it, I get emotional. I just get emotional even, even now just talking about it, uh, you know, because just the depravity of what we are yet to find out is... Uh, The day after Christmas, December 26, 1976, Joe Robinson's body is found on the side of a public road in Oakland County. Stop me if you've heard this one before. In an article published December 27, 1976, in the Detroit Free Press, the article says uh, the title is Run Runaway Girl Shotgunned, Body Found Off I-75 in Troy. Now, I want to give this info as much as possible in terms of what we knew in 1976, but I'll tell you right now that Jill's mom took special exception to the characterization of Jill in the media and the characterization, of course, of herself in the media, but especially of Jill. She said that Jill was not a runaway uh, in subsequent years. Jill was not someone who would just run off like that. Uh, you know, it wasn't normal. It wasn't in her character. She wasn't some runaway. This wasn't a regular occurrence. Uh, but that's the headline as it's printed, December 27th, 1976. And um, I'll read here from the article, quote, Police said the girl who was fully clothed had been killed by a close-range shotgun blast to the right side of her head, end quote. I mean, that's just just killed by a close-range shotgun blast to the head 
on a main road, I-75, which is the, um, the major interstate that runs through Michigan. It runs all the way up through Michigan, and you can take it all the way down to Florida if you want. It's a main interstate, and Big Beaver Road is kind of the main road of Troy. Uh, in the modern day, it's built up very, very uh, heavily. There's chain restaurants out the wazoo. There's office buildings. It's like the main road of Troy. In 1976, I'm taking a look at a photo right now. And it's not, uh, you know, not as built up, obviously. It, that just makes sense. But, you know, it's still the main road of Troy. It's still, or a main road. I mean, this is a very highly trafficked area. You're talking a freeway exit uh, in a major metropolitan area. And Jill Robinson's body is found there. Not only that, she's shot in the face. She's brutally shot in the face by a shotgun at close range. And somehow... This killer is not known. This killer is not caught. No one knows what the Oakland County child killer is doing and where they're going to strike next. And in fact, this sentiment is so known that in subsequent days, weeks, and months, a lot is going to be made of the fact that Jill Robinson is found at Big Beaver and I-75. And this is not just because it's a public road. It's not just because she was shot in the face with a shotgun. It's because it was within view. You could see the location from the Troy police station. So really what the media and what's going to you know, really become central in terms of the Oakland County child killer's identity in part is, is this killer too good? Are they a mastermind? Is this some sort of just absolute genius killer among us? Because they left a body so publicly within view of the Troy police station. And you know I had to go and check this one out. So take a listen. I'm standing here just off of West Big Beaver Road in Troy, where the body of Jill Robinson was ultimately discovered. This location is interesting for a number of reasons, really. One being that... Uh, it's right by the Troy police station. It's actually within view of the Troy police station. I just saw a Troy police officer pass me. So this is a big deal in the media at the time. I'm standing outside of the Troy police station. I can see I-75 and Big Beaver Road from where I'm standing. I mean, it's within, you can see City Hall. You can see like the city complexes, the city offices. They're right here. I can see the location where this car must have been all those years ago and where the body of Joe Robinson was dumped. Now, what was very interesting and different about Jill Robinson versus some of these other uh, cases is that Jill Robinson was unfortunately, of course, tragically shot in the face by the killer with a shotgun. So that's not exactly a quiet activity, and you're not doing it in a quiet area. You're doing it in an urban area within view of the police station. I mean, I'm standing right outside of it. It's just shocking to me how that, how that came to be, how the killer didn't get caught uh, and it's just shocking. This to me is just the most jaw-dropping location of all just because, you know, the proximity to the Troy police station. Now, it's not like the police station's directly next to it. Uh, it's kind of off the road, I'd say about 70, 80 yards. Uh, and there, at least in the modern day, is some like trees and foliage and things like that. But look, if I heard a shotgun, especially if it's late at night and I'm walking around or being around the police station, if it's nighttime, and the road's even less trafficked, 
If there's a shotgun blast, I'm hearing it from here. It is something I'm going to hear, at least exterior to the building, of course, inside the building, perhaps that was not the case. Uh, but it's just so strange and just, I mean, just jaw-dropping for me to see this in person. Uh, this is, of course, an area when I lived in Oakland County, I actually trafficked this area pretty regularly. So uh, this is an area I'm very familiar with also just during my time here in Oakland County. So just shocking. Uh, I don't know the audacity that this killer went to and the uh, I don't know. It, a lot's made in the media of kind of uh, taunting law enforcement and especially with this location of being in front of a law enforcement agency, really. I mean, as close as you can get to being in front of it. Uh, and I don't know. We'll, we'll go over that in the case, but it's hard not standing here to just go, man, the balls on that killer to just do this and just the cockiness or the, you know, conceit or whatever it was that they thought that they weren't going to get caught, um, that they would put the body where they did so absolutely just I mean it's just crazy I, I don't I don't know how to express it any differently I mean I can I'm standing in front of city hall here right in the complex with the police station I can see I-75 in Big Beaver and there's a ton of cars going by it now you know so um you know there was a, a little bit of traffic at that time which we'll get into but just just out of this world shocking I mean I, you can't write a movie script like it so it's it's sure something. I think my shock and awe is appropriately conveyed there. I mean, just the, uh, you know, you really couldn't write a movie script. The audacity there is just beyond the pale, I mean, honestly. So this is given, I mean, I'm looking at the newspaper article from December 27th, 1976. This is given significant front page, like uh, page real estate. So when newspapers were really a big, big thing, man, that real estate in the paper, the inches, the inches in the columns, the inches that you get on the front page or on any page, I mean, that's a valuable, valuable space. It gets people reading. It gets people going. You know, you put your best stories on the front page typically. And these child murders are starting to get real front page width in the columns. I mean, there's a full-size picture of uh, the crime scene, the, the body dump site, and there's a school photo of Jill Robinson here along with the text of the article. So this is getting significant front-page news, significant front-page headlines, and unfortunately, the community, they really don't have a lot of time to rest on this one. Jill Robinson is found December 26th, 1976, and on January 2nd, 1977, another child goes missing from Oakland County. Christine Mihalik on January 2nd, 1977. So, I mean, we're talking right after Jill Robinson is found. Christine wants to go down to grab a magazine at the local 7-Eleven. It's like a block or two from the house, not super far. Again, you're in Oakland County. She's in Berkeley. So Berkeley and Royal Oak, you can think of in my mind, and Berkeley and Royal Oak diehards might come after me for this, but as synonym, they're pretty synonymous. They're, they're very similar. They border each other. You know, if you're in Berkeley, you're in Royal Oak. If you're in Royal Oak, you're in Berkeley. Like, you know, they're pretty interchangeable as far as I'm concerned. So she's in Berkeley. Again, Southern Oakland County community, safe community. She wants to go to the store, and I think that there's some apprehension there, not because of kind of what's been going on with the child killer or anything like that, these child murders, but uh, instead she would have to go by like a kind of main road, and that is, you know, a cause for concern. But ultimately, Christine goes to the 7-Eleven to grab her magazine, 
and she never makes it home. Now, police are taking things very seriously. This is not a Mark Stebbins, Ferndale, hey, he'll turn up, you know, sort of non nonchalant, laissez-faire sort of approach. Police are on this thing. And so they find that she made it to the 7-Eleven. The 7-Eleven clerk spotted uh, Christine and... You know, Christine went and bought her magazine, and that was the last that the 7-Eleven clerk had seen of Christine. Now, police are out searching all night in a Times-Herald article from Port Huron, Michigan, uh, dated January 3rd, 1977. Quote from, I believe this guy's name, his name is Dave, I think it's Piche, hopefully I'm, or Piche, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, but this detective says, quote, we were out beating the bushes all night. About all we can do now is wait, hoping something will turn up. The search consisted of about a dozen police officers, he said. So this is something that is just ratcheting up, and it was much easier, and I, that's not a coincidence, to find articles on Christine's disappearance rather than some of the other children and their disappearances, because now at this point, you've got... Um, Jill Robinson, who just went missing. You had Mark Stebbins. Now it's like, oh yeah, Jane Allen. Remember her? We kind of forgot about her. She went missing too. So the entire eyes of the community are fixated on where Christine Mihalik possibly could have gone to. Is this something, um, you know, that's connected? And on a Detroit Free Press article, January 5th, 1977, that's exactly what's insinuated um, the, the article is titled mom hopes, but no clues on girl. And so, um, her mom, Christine's mom actually says, quote, people keep talking about the Royal Oak girl, but I'm just not going to even think about that. So people are talking about the connection. They're talking about, is there something going on? It, are these connected? And in this article, again, quote, they admit they being the, the, uh, police, they admit that they are troubled by some of the similarities between Christine's disappearance and the slaying of Jill Robinson, a 12-year-old Royal Oak girl who ran away from home December 22nd and was found shot to death in Troy four days later. So, you know, we've got uh, Deborah Ashcroft, that's Christine's mom, saying, hey, people keep talking about the Royal Oak girl, but I'm not even going to think about that. You've got police saying, this might be connected, and you've got the community I mean, just going bonkers, because as we've talked about, Oakland County, safe place, safe community. It's where you move to get out of the city, to get out of the violence, and the violence is here, and it's time for Oakland County to have a reckoning here, and the reckoning really is a long time, it's a long time, and it's a tragic time, because articles go on for days about how the police have no leads in the disappearance of Christine Mihalik, and she is not found... In subsequent days, Mark Stebbins, he was found four days later in the clothes that he was missing in. Jill Robinson went missing on the 22nd, was found on the 26th. Christine, she's not found, she's not found, she's not found, she's not found. And then an agonizing and eternal... Nineteen 
days later, I paused for 19 seconds. If you thought those 19 seconds were long, maybe you checked your phone, made sure the podcast was still playing. That was 19 seconds. Christine Mihalik was missing for 19 days, and her body was found on the side of a public road, January 21st, 1977. I'm standing here at the Dead End Street, Bruce Lane, in the village of Franklin. And, I mean, I've said it before in the podcast, I'll say it again, Franklin really is a prestige address, even more so than Birmingham. It's a small area, so there's not, like, a high volume of houses, land, etc. And to get one of those spots and to be kind of in this idyllic setting is certainly uh, something that, I mean, (laughs) it seems like everyone in the metro Detroit area strives to, and it's just really unattainable just because, um, you know, just the prices and those kinds of things. So, on this uh, Bruce Lane here, it's a dead-end street still, as it was back then in the 70s. And this is where the body of Christine Mihalik was discovered all those years ago. Again, it just strikes me as just so odd. This is a residential street. Yes, it's a dead-end street. There are some trees. You know, it's a tree-lined street. There are some trees in the back of people's yards. So, look, I mean, it's a little rule it's a bit off the beaten path so this isn't like i'm in a uh, strip mall like mark stebbins so this really is off the beaten path as far as the other locations are concerned but this is still a residential street and it was a residential street back then driving down the street in the modern day it seems like perhaps some of the houses are are newer or uh more newly remodeled at least or something like that but some of these houses were definitely here in the 1970s and so someone's gonna find her body on the end of this dead-end street I mean it's not and I mean that's what happened of course the mailman discovered the body but even though this isn't a uh, very highly trafficked location like some of the others this is not a location in my mind, that you would want to, again, dump a body where you wouldn't want it to be found. So it really just defies expectation. Number one, that a killer would dump bodies in plain sight, as we have seen. And again, it really doesn't make sense. I don't know. Why would you do it in a very well-to-do, idyllic community? What is the point of that? Why would you do it here? Is it just because it's a dead-end street and it was on your way to or from somewhere? I mean, I just don't get it. You know, all these locations... They send chills through you because they're just normal areas. You drive down this and you would want to live. I mean, you would want to live on this street. This is, this is a street you would want to buy a house on. If you bought a house on this street and lived here on Bruce Lane, you, you did a lot of things, at least career-wise, right in your life. So it's just, again, very strange. It's just so, so odd. I mean, this is a place I would want to live. I would want to live on Bruce Lane. I would love living on Bruce Lane. Quiet street, fantastic community. Now, there's mounting bodies at the foot of various police departments in Oakland County. I mean, we're talking about Mark Stebbins. We're talking about Jane Allen. We're talking about Jill Robinson, Christine Mihalik, all missing in a very short time period in 1976 and the early part of 1977. And the police, they've got no answers. And there's a lot of jurisdictional issues. They were found in places different from where they went missing. So you're talking about different police jurisdictions there and so they form this special police task force that uh, a state police spokesman said quote the task force would immediately begin a full-scale probe into the disappearance and deaths of christine and five other youngsters in the area 
within the past year, end quote. So we've got this task force that's looking to investigate these disappearances, and even in that same article, they're trying to say that they're not technically related. A, a quote from later in the article, quote, So far, according to Oakland County Prosecutor L. Brooks Patterson, a familiar name if you're in the Oakland County area, no evidence has been found to link the Mihalik girl's death to the other five. So they're talking about previous disappearances uh, of Cynthia Kaju, of Sheila Schrock, of Mark Stebbins, Jane Allen. So you're, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Why are these kids going missing? But they're also kind of claiming, hey, they're not really related. And the community is not really buying it. I mean, there's a serial killer on the loose in Oakland County. And I don't have to speculate and I don't have to tell you that because it's everywhere. It's all the time. And it's changed the way that things are in that community. In a Detroit Free Press article published January 27, 1977, there's an article about a missing Ferndale boy, age 12, who's found safe. And I thought this was an absolutely fantastic look into the community. Essentially, this boy, he goes missing because he gets a bad school report card and he, like, sleeps in the mall for a day. So, I don't know. That's like a Ferris Bueller day off sort of thing. But the police are out there looking for him. Parents are despondent. I mean... This is another victim. This guy was abducted by the same guy who's abducting these other kids. I mean, that's the thought in the community, and that's even the thought among some of the police. So they're still claiming a little bit in newspaper articles at this point. Cases aren't related. Some of them, uh, you know, they're kind of all maybe not related to each other. Some of these cases at least are certainly related to each other, and the community's putting that together. But in any case, this missing Ferndale boy, he's found... Uh, you know, after his hideaway in the mall. So, uh, it, you know, he fled because of a poor report card and, you know, feared uh, repercussions from his parents and, you know, triggered a, a sort of manhunt to find him. And this was not unnoticed by the community. Even though he was found safe, it was too late. I mean, this this was starting to creep in to the community. We've got a quote here in the article, quote, more than 30 worried, worried parents, however, lined both sides of the street outside the school's main entrance to pick up children as classes ended at 11.30 a.m. It gets kind of scary, said Garski, as he watched the students climb into the cars of their waiting parents. People are very fearful. Two parents told me they were keeping their kids home altogether today out of fear. Outside, one waiting parent, Bob Volginov, said he is so worried over the unsolved murders that he may tell his son to give up his paper route. Another parent, Carolyn Brown, said that she has decided to drive her two, chi two children to and from school every day, which, look, in 2021 here in the modern day, that might seem normal, but in the 70s, no, your kids walk into school, they're going to walk a couple blocks, they'll walk with their friends, maybe they'll walk alone. That's just the way that it was. So this is a major, major change. Uh, anyway... Another parent, Carolyn Brown, has said she decided to drive her two children to and from school every day and many and said many other parents have made the same decision, end quote. So it's too late now in the community. There's a serial killer on the loose. That's the way that it is in the minds of the public. It's at, they're at large, not found by the police. There seem to be no clues, no suspects, and I wanted to get something like uh, from someone who was there. I wanted to know from someone who was around at that time, what was the mood of the community like? What was going on? 
So I called up my dad and uh, interviewed him, and we'll hear more from my dad later. But this is what he said about growing up in the Detroit area. He lived in Livonia, so that's Wayne County, but uh, he lived in Livonia, and this is what he had to say about that time. Well, around the time that it happened, it was actually a big effect because it caused so much anxiety in, you know, in our area with kids and with adults, parents, and uh, especially when it became apparent that it was a serial killer and the age that was um, being targeted was, you know, my exact age at the time. So how old were you in 1976? Uh, 10. I was 10. And um, I think the the children were right around that, maybe 10, 11, 12. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so at the time there was a lot of anxiety. We're hoping that some answers can start to come to the Metro Detroit community. Anxiety is at an all-time high. People are fearing for their children, and it's just a, it went from an idyllic place to raise your kids to now something out of really a horror movie. It's important, and I hope you can understand now why I'm trying to bring you this information as much as I can in sort of an as-it-happened format. I think it's important to look at the people of Oakland County and of surrounding Wayne County in 1976-1977 and resonate with them. And this is the information you're getting, and this is when it's coming out. And it's frustrating because we don't know what's going on, and we don't know what's happening but that's what it was like in 1976 and 1977 and i think it's important because we got to resonate with those people because those people are us man they're just us of a different time this is just these are our fellow people man and we just have to be able to resonate and it has to resonate with us this case and we have to be able to sympathize and so that's why i have done it in this format but i think it's important here to kind of take a more retrospective view on these the the uh these two most recent child killings because the autopsy was done by the oakland county medical examiner and a man by the name of uh dr robert sillery now you would think in a case or cases with little evidence the autopsy that could provide key evidence and now it does in the modern day because of dna Back then, you know, DNA was just, those were just three separate letters of the alphabet. But it goes beyond that. We've got Dr. Robert Sillery, a man of incompetence, a man of malfeasance, and just someone who was unfit to be a medical examiner in so many ways, and uh, really someone who could have hindered this case uh, and ma it majorly progressing. I talked with Nina at length about Dr. Robert Sillery, and I think he's an important character in this case, so let's talk about him, uh, even if it's a little bit retrospective. People think that, have said, well, you know, you don't know that he did a bad job on this autopsy. It's just, it's just one issue. So way back when I started the podcast, I learned about a woman named Deborah Rentschler. And Deborah, she had a very sad life. She, her mom died when she was little and her father could not take care of her consistently. So she sort of bounced from house to house and dropped out of school when maybe middle school age. And she ended up with a quote boyfriend 
living near State Fair in Woodward, and she was a working girl. And one night, I believe it was either December 23rd or December 24th of 1980, her boyfriend had her get ready to go out, and they were walking out of the, the hotel they lived in. And he, she was walking ahead of him, and he stopped to talk to somebody. And when he looked up, she had gone outside, so he went outside, and she was gone. And she didn't come back. He thought maybe she'd gotten a date and that she'd be back, but she didn't come back. Well, the next morning, her body was found in Farmington near Drake and Grand River. She was nude. She was face down in a snowbank. And... Her body was picked up and transported to the Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office, and Dr. Sillery got to her 26th or 27th after Christmas. And he looked at Deborah Rentschler, who had lived just the most terrible life, and she was an addict, and she was a prostitute, sex worker, and she had needle marks and crude tattoos on her body, and he knew that she'd been found nude in a snowbank miles, 20 miles from where she lived in Detroit, and wrote natural causes on her death certificate, closed the file, and moved on. Wow. I did not hear of that particular story involving him, so that is... That's uh, the type of medical examiner he was. Yeah. Okay. So then I guess I would like to amend my earlier incompetence to, I don't know, malfeasance. I mean, at that point, the guy's just throwing it. Yeah, they they had to have her again. This I I have so much sympathy in my heart for this girl who lived this terrible life and died this terrible death. They had buried her. They had to exhume her and do another autopsy where they realized that she'd been strangled. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that this was a sexually motivated crime. Sure, she was dumped in the parking lot of an ironworker's local, out in Farmington Hills or Farmington. Um, miles from where she'd lived, and he he didn't care about her at all. Right. He couldn't even give her a proper autopsy. Right. So in this case, so it's, I mean, it's more than fair to look at his autopsies that he did here with more than a fair dose of skepticism. Yes. And to know that he was so bizarre and inappropriate with these child murders, and then three years later was still doing bizarre, inappropriate shit. In fact, in the media, in the days following, it comes out that the girls were sexually assaulted. There was sperm found. That sexual assault did happen. And then that's walked back. Sillery walks that back. It's retracted. It's not something that happened, actually. So, and that's the conventional wisdom even today. That's the, the conventional wisdom of the day even today is that the girls were not sexually assaulted. But I would say that there's no way for us to know that. With Dr. Robert Sillery behind the scalpel, we have someone who was not a man of integrity, who did not give people what they deserved, and did not give police and the community the evidence and the just responsibility that was required of his position. It is absolutely disgraceful what Dr. Robert Sillery did. It confused a community when the reports came out in 1977, and it still confuses us to this day because there's things like motive, there's things uh, that we will talk about later that the answer to this question would perhaps be a very valuable one. I'm Eddie White. This is the Forever Children of Oakland County, and I hope you'll join me next time because there's a lot that we don't yet know that is just going to knock your socks off. <laughs> <laughs>
Leelanau County Prosecutor James Williams said that a warrant will be authorized today for the arrest of missing Ann Arbor millionaire. Oh yeah, did I say, did I mention he was missing? Francis D. Sheldon on criminal sexual conduct charges stemming from an alleged homosexual incident on North Fox Island. Do you remember anything at the time regarding uh, like a pedophile ring that was uh, busted? Do you remember hearing anything on the news about that? About any kind of like pedophile or like sex like ring or pornographic ring being uh, discovered in Michigan at that same time? No, nothing. Nothing at all. The Forever Children of Oakland County is a podcast produced, written, and done entirely by me, Eddie White, out of a burning desire to see these cases solved and a love for my community. This was not free to make, and if you want to support the show, you can do so at anchor.fm slash eddie-white4 slash support. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash E-D-D-I-E dash W-H-I-T-E four slash support.